This is the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, Episode 6. You're listening to the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, the number one resource for running a profitable home recording studio. Now your hosts, Brian Hood and Chris Graham. Welcome back to another week of the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. I am Brian Hood, and this is the second part of the Business of Running Your Business series. So for any of you guys that are trying to do this seriously, I think that this episode along with the last one, episode five, is going to be really, really beneficial to your careers because we talk about a lot of the different things that you need to know as a business owner in order to have that solid foundation in place. So if you somehow missed it and you're kind of living under a rock right now, I'm also doing a four-part video workshop right now called the Business Accelerator Workshop. It's just a free video series I'm doing. If you haven't watched it already, all four videos are out and available right now. They'll just be up for the next five days. And I do not want you to miss that. If you are a business owner, you run a recording studio, this is going to be something that you really, really want to watch, digest, maybe take some notes, maybe go back a few times and rewatch some parts and figure out what sort of takeaways you got from it. What can you do to implement it into your life and your business? If you want to go through that business accelerator workshop, just go to the sixfigurehomestudio.com slash workshop. And that is six S-I-X spelled out. That's the sixfigurehomestudio.com slash workshop. If you listen to last week's episode, and you go through those four videos, I think you'll be ahead of 90% of home studio owners because most of the guys out there are not taking their businesses seriously. They sit and they tweak compressors and they learn their craft, which is very, very important. You have to be good at what you do, but they're putting themselves at a disadvantage by ignoring all of the business aspects of their life. So do not be the person that sits in their control room day in, day out without actually applying any of the business principles. If you're trying to do this as a business, if you're trying to make any money from your studio, you have to understand these aspects of business. So without further ado, here is episode six of the Six Figure Home Studio podcast. And again, that's part two of the business of running a business series. Chris, what are we doing today? What are we talking about today? And- well, the thing we sort of ended on um, last week, or at least the thing that me and you wanted to talk about um, was multitasking. And I think many people, you know, they think about what does it mean to be good at business? What does it mean to be a real grown up? And they think, oh, it's multitasking. And uh, feel free to disagree, but I think multitasking is dumb. It's stupid. It's not something that you need to be able to do to run a business well. And I think, frankly, the more you multitask, the less successful you'll be. Yeah, I'm going to play the devil's advocate here and say that um, you're not being harsh enough if you, if you are trying to multitask, you will absolutely not be successful at all. You'll be a failure. I hate seeing people brag about being good multitaskers. You are not a good multitasker. You can brag about it all you want, but you are not. You're just good at doing a lot of things poorly. That's all that means. <laughs> yeah, I'm 100% with you. I think, uh, I think that was one of the things when, I, when my business started to really do well, run well, um, I was shocked not that I wasn't taught a lot of these things in school, these business skills, but that I was taught the absolute opposite of what I needed to learn to run a business well. And this multitasking thing is one of these things where it's just like talked about a lot in class or, you know, in school in general. Like it's a very schooly skill, this, this uh, schooly. Let's use that as a term from now on. <laughs> that's, a, that's officially a six-figure home studio's term there you and go. that is schooly <laughs> schooly it's a negative term by the way <laughs> so but yeah multitasking was all this like uh it's just over exaggerated what ends up happening when you multitask is you do you do many things poorly it's so much better and i find this to be so true with myself that my iq goes up when i'm doing less things and this goes back to the thing I was talking about last week, which was the sacred business hours. When yeah. I set aside those four hours in the morning between eight and 12 every day uh, or every workday that are my business, sacred business hours, I'm able to focus on the one or maybe two things tops that I have to do in those four hours. And I only focus on that one task at a time. And I'm not trying to bounce around between 30 different things at a time. You cannot effectively do anything that really matters. Now, obviously, you can do like laundry while you listen to a podcast, while you chew gum. Like that, that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about multitasking. We're talking about the stuff that's actually pushing the needle in your business. So when I say multitasking and Chris is talking about multitasking, we're talking about the things that really matter and the things that really push the needle. You cannot do more than one of these at a time. And if you try to 
focus on more than one of these things at a time, you're going to be dropping the ball again and again and again and again and again. Yeah. Well, and even just to kind of bring this home for people listening, I think even the secret to being a good engineer to engineering a session well, you'll be successful based on your ability to creatively unmultitask yourself. How do you mean by that? Dig into that more. Well, I think a lot of times, you know, my idea of what a good engineer was, was someone who does it all. When I kind of first cut my teeth in audio, it was like, well, I'm going to get the gaffers tape out. And I'm going to tape all the wires down and I'm going to set the mics up and I'm going to move them all around and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make the coffee and I'm going to, you know, uh, do all the routing on the board and I'm going to do all these things and just kind of communicate to everyone there. I'm real stressed, but just trust me, I'm so good at this. I'm smart. You're not sit down, shut up. I'll let you know when I'm ready. <laughs> and they get, it was just a terrible way to run a session. And I really feel like, you know, when you've figured out a way to either, you know, have assistance or to do some stuff beforehand or even just have a list of like, don't do this. So a, a good example would be don't edit vocals while you're recording vocals. So if, if you want to kill a vibe and uh, like if you got a good vibe going in the studio, or you got a vocal that's a vocalist that's really ready to go and you want to like make them not ready to go, just start editing. Let them hear you scrubbing vocals and editing vocals and comping things together. They're going to be cringing the whole time. Yeah, they're going to be cringing the whole time. And then, and then you're like, okay, take two. They're done. They're, they're over it. Yeah. And vocalists, vocalists generally are more emotional <laughs> than yeah. others. So they could very easily be, uh, get their egos hurt quickly. Uh, I have a thing against vocalists myself, but. <laughs> yeah. Ditto. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, no. It's all in good love. But yeah, so I think with the multitasking thing, you know, you've talked about this a lot on the blog and in the podcast, but niching down. Niching down essentially means don't multitask. Don't do more than one thing. And man, it's so much better. No, no one has ever done something unbelievable on this planet by doing tons and tons and tons of things simultaneously. They've done, one, they've done something great because it was the only thing they were doing. I'll push that point forward a little bit and just say, um, some of you don't have assistance. You can't afford assistance. You, you are a one-man operation right now, which is fine. The way this translates to you is, yeah, you may be doing all the cable wiring. You may be doing all of the session setup. You may be doing all the vocal editing, the vocal track. You're doing everything right now, but that doesn't mean you have to multitask. That means you just batch. And batching is the solution. This is the poor man's outsourcing. Batching is when you're taking all of these tasks that are separate, very, very separate from each other. And you're doing them all of the things for that one task in one sitting. So the way I would say is like when I'm doing drums, I record all of the drums and then I edit all of the drums. I don't record a song and then edit a song. It does not work that way. Yeah. So I, I think to kind of go along with, with that, if you want an assistant, go outside, take your cell phone and throw it. And it's going to hit, if it hits somebody, walk up to them and say, hi, um, would you like to be an intern in a recording studio? <laughs> do you know what they're going to say? Oh yeah, let's do it. I already have a degree from Full Sail. Let's go. Oh my God. Like it's not hard to find high school kids or college kids that want to intern. It's so easy. If, if your studio has a search result on Google, like a local result, you're probably going to get at least an email a week of people who have searched recording studio and then have cold called or cold emailed them asking, Hey, can I intern there? It's not hard to find an intern. The hard part is training. The hard part is teaching them to be useful instead of a pain in the butt. So anyways, the multitasking thing, there are many, many ways that you can get over multitasking and your success um, is going to be directly correlated to your ability to not multitask, to focus on one thing and to become unbelievable at that one thing, to hit a flow state where you are doing genius level work because you're only doing one thing. Okay, so let's move on to, we've kind of beat the multitasking thing to death. And uh, I think we can move on to the next point in our outline, which is calendars and alerts. What do you have on that for us? Oh man, pro tip, y'all. <laughs> I used to be real flaky and I would miss meetings. I would be late all the time. Um, I would forget to even show up. You know, this is, you know, 10 years ago, you know, I had first gotten married and I was just a wreck. Super irresponsible. I would like be late to go play disc golf with my friends. So, so lame. 
the thing that we need to keep in mind is that it is easier to be on time and connected and to have yourself scheduled and to be dependable than it has ever been in the history of the world. And the way that you do that is with a calendar app on a smartphone. And what I use, because I'm really inept at this, is an Apple Watch. So when I have an event, I set it right then. Like when somebody, like, yeah, hey, we're going to have this meeting. I stop what I'm doing under all circumstances. I open up my calendar. I put it in my calendar and I put two alerts. Those notifications are five minutes before the event and one hour before the event. And thanks to the, the magic of the Apple Watch, uh, a little device on my wrist vibrates to remind me, hey, you need to go have lunch with this guy or you need to make this phone call at this time. If you can't be punctual and remember um, to show up on time and to make phone calls on time, you know, like th this is, it's going to be a problem for you. And this is one of these, you know, under promise over deliver things that people look out for. When you're thinking about hiring an audio engineer, your biggest fear is that they will be a flaky loser and won't do what they say they'll do by when they say they'll do it. So for me, and guys, if I can do this, anybody can do it. I was so bad at this until I developed the discipline of when you have an event right then, not later, not, not a minute later, not an hour later, right then put it in your calendar and put two alerts on it. Yep. Unbelievable. So there's a thing called the law of diminishing intent. I wrote a blog article about it. It's called how to stop procrastinating. This law of diminishing intent says that the longer you wait to do something, the less likely you are to ever do it. And that's why it's in, so important that you add the event to your calendar right then and there. So I hate adding events to calendars. I despise it because it's a lot of fidgeting around and hitting little tiny buttons on little tiny screens. And so what I do is I use Siri for that. And I just say, Siri, add a meeting on my calendar next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Oh, stop. It's starting to do it right now because it heard me say her name. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but it's just as easy as that. You, you say it and it adds it to your calendar and you're done. And so if you, as long as you have your alerts set up to remind you ahead of time, then you don't have to do anything other than that. As long as you, unless you want to invite somebody to the meeting, which is what we do for these podcast episodes. So a little food for thought there for those of you who are bad at being on time or bad at, um, bad at, just scheduling and prioritizing things. Yeah. So this is funny. On the uh, the Six Figure Home Studio Facebook group, somebody had asked a question about about contracts. Yep. Contract is a written agreement between you and a client. And uh, it occurred to us that we didn't put this in our outline for things to cover and probably important. Which is probably a very important part of running the business of running a business is contracts or at least giving it some thought. So what is your take on contracts? First and foremost, I don't give a file to a client until I've been paid in full. That's a hard and fast rule for me. I don't give a deliverable until I've been paid in full. And what that keeps me doing is it keeps me working on audio. It keeps me working on art as opposed to chasing clients around and trying to get paid. Yeah, I tell people this and I want you in your car or wherever you're listening to say, just repeat after me. I am in the audio business. I am not in the debt collection business. <laughs> so good. Hopefully you said that out loud because it's true. So many of us, uh, we think we're going to get paid later and then that later never comes and then we're out there chasing dollars instead of working. That's yeah. idiotic if you think about it. And so I do exactly what Chris does. I get paid in full ahead of time. And when it comes to contracts, this is why in my eight and a half, almost nine years of existence now, I have never had a band sign a contract when it comes to my studio. I've signed their contracts if they want just guarantees that I'm going to deliver on what I say I'm going to deliver. Uh, but even I'd say 99% of the people that I've worked with have just gone on my word. And I don't have to put ever put myself in a position where I need a contract because I've been paid in full. I don't do any work until I've been paid for it. And at the end of the day, there's not many ways they can screw me when that's the case. So, yeah. you know, th that's not maybe the best answer, but that's the way I've done it. And Chris, how do you do it? That's how I do it. Uh, for mastering projects, I don't, I never sign a contract. Um, everything that I'm, that I say I'll do is on my website. And when you, when you book a project with me, you know what you're signing up for, signing up for, you know, a certain turnaround time. Yeah. I would say for you, for you guys, <laughs> Chris, you're probably gonna hate me for this, but go to chrisgrammastering.com and try to buy just a single. And if you have a song that you want mastered, actually send it to Chris because he's great at what he does. 
But go through the process, go through the steps on his site and see how much he communicates in every single part of the process. And you'll understand why he's so good at what he does and why he gets so many clients. He goes out of his way to over-communicate every single aspect of this. It's incredible if you go through his, uh, I don't want to say funnel, but you start going through all his his process for uh, you know signing up, getting your account made, delivering files, sending payments. Like he explains every single thing along the way and it's, and it's extraordinarily impressive. And anyone that is wanting to replicate that, <laughs> good luck with that because it was a lot of work to do what he did there. But go do that because that is a, an important part that we didn't really touch on that is not really in our outline and that's communication, but we don't have time to talk about that right now. I just want you guys to go do that. But yeah, if you don't have, if you, if you have communications, proper communications in place where you're, you know, really letting people know how it all works, what to expect, you know, all of these really important communicational things, you're not going to have pissed off people at the end of the day because they know what they're going to get when they pay you their money. And there's no nasty surprises that could leave a bad taste in their mouth. Thank you, Brian. That's super kind, man. And if, if you do go to my website and you find something that you do feel like I'm not communicating well, please email me. Seriously. Feedback is gold, man. Um, but yeah, so I, I think what we're trying to say here is that we've structured our businesses so that we don't need contracts. We've structured our businesses so that people know what they're signing up for um, before they hire us. Now, that's not going to be possible for everyone. In some situations, you know, a band comes in and wants to work with you. They've never heard of you before. You're just starting out. You're going to need to have some sort of written agreement, some sort of thing to say, I will do this if you do that. And here's what that's going to look like. I would say first and foremost, the most important thing on the contract is that they don't get something they can release until you've been paid in full. Because if you don't do that, you will be in the debt collection business. And you'll spend a considerable amount of your portion uh, calling people and asking them to pay you instead of making art for a living. And that's the worst thing in the world. Yeah. And just a side note here, neither of us are experts. Uh, we have no lawyer degree. I don't know what you would even need to give proper legal advice, but this is not legal advice, by the way. This is just uh, what we've done in our business and what we've learned. So absolutely talk to a lawyer when it comes to contracts and don't don't ever rely on what we tell you for contracts because... I do not want to set myself up for getting sued for <laughs> giving someone bad legal advice. Yeah. So yeah, this is not legal advice at all. And I would go, go ahead and say, so, so my history here is you know, I've been mastering for about 10 years, but before that I was producing and mixing records for people. And the big thing that I would do is I wouldn't have a legal contract with people. I would have a bullet pointed single page document that was a written out gentleman's agreement. I feel like in a lot of cases, it can be difficult when you're starting out to hand somebody a terrifying legal document. Legalese. In legalese, yeah. That legalese, it's hard to close a sale when you do that. You're probably not going to have an issue if you lay out the arrangement properly and you communicate expectations properly. But what I used to do that worked really well for me was I let them know um, it was something like half up front and half when I'm done and ready to deliver but before I deliver, then you can pay me the rest. Um, and the big thing I would do, um, and this was just my production business back in the day when I would uh, you know, record people's scratch tracks. We'd go somewhere, get session artists. Uh, then we'd overdub some more and then we'd mix and then, you know, and so on and so forth. What I would do is I would book in a time period. So instead of saying, instead of billing yourself hourly, which I don't recommend you do, I would come up with a at least a day rate and say, here's the what here's the project proposal. It's gonna be an album with ten songs. Each song, you know, seven of the songs are gonna have about twenty-five tracks. The other few are gonna have just a few tracks. Is how we would typically do a record. And then I would say, This project has an allotted time of ten working days. Working day is defined, and because I was a psychopath, working day is defined as fifteen hours. <laughs> what? <laughs> it was crazy. It was so dumb. And uh, so basically what I would do is I would say, you know, you've got a 10 day project. If you go over the 10 days, here's what my day rate is above that. And I would specifically price that day rate way above, say, a 10 day project. Which again, this doesn't necessarily need to be a contract. You're just communicating how it all works. Yeah, but it should be written down. I really think that's important because what I, I can't tell you how many times I've been in a situation when I've, when I've said, well, but you said this. To somebody and they'll say, oh, I don't, 
I don't remember that. I'll be like, ah, crap, because I sure do. And this is why I, every single thing needs to be through email. The point that they yeah. they contact you asking for a rate, everything else needs to be through email. And that way there's a written history of everything you've told them. Especially if you do a, if you do a proposal, like a proper proposal where you're sending like all the details of what's included, what's not included, uh, terms and conditions, all this stuff. And they sign that proposal st- stating that this is the price we're paying for all these things. That's as good as it gets when it comes to you know properly communicating because they've put their name on the fact that you have, they've accepted your terms and conditions and what they're getting out of what they're paying you. So I like proposals. I've been using them a lot lately. Yeah. Well, and I, I would say even in lieu of contracts, you hit on a great thing. Email. You know, you should have a phone conversation or face-to-face conversation, but then you should confirm everything that was discussed over email. Yeah, I did that recently. I talked to a, a guy, a label owner on a small indie label that has a band he's wanted me to mix. And we had the conversation all on the phone. It was literally the entire project, the, the, the quote and everything. As soon as the phone call is over, I went online, I typed up and finalized the entire proposal, detailed everything that we had in the conversation, and I emailed it to him, and I sent him a follow-up email, and I can track the fact that he's open, because of the software I use, I've been, I can track the fact that he's opened that proposal five times already. <laughs> so it's, it's good to have that on record, and now he has record of everything we talked about in the phone call, and that way there's, down the road, there's no miscommunication about how it all works. Yeah, I think that's huge. So I, and again, back to our kind of calendar thing there, if you develop the, di- the discipline, and I'm preaching it myself here, that when you discuss something with somebody, you should immediately email them once the discussion is over. Hey, here's what we talked about. Here's the agreement we came, we came to. If I got anything wrong here, if I forgot anything, just you know, please let me know and I'll, and I'll add that. That's a really good business practice in general just to have. That is a great business habit just to do things over email. Because inevitably what's going to happen is you know, you're going to be in a session or you're going to be recording somebody and they're gonna be like, man, this is going great. Let's do another song. And at that point you're, you know, you're like, oh, okay. Um, well, I, I only agreed to, you know, say mix seven songs for you. If it's, I have to mix eight, I have to charge you more. Yep. Cause that's what we agreed on, on such and such a date. All right, let's, let's move on to the next bullet point. I think we touched on that at least enough for people to understand, uh, what they should do and who they should hire, which would be a lawyer when it comes to contracts. <laughs> Um, the next point is sales funnel. This is, to me, this is a huge topic and probably could have its own episode. And maybe this takes up the rest of this episode. Who knows how long this business or running a business series is going to go, but sales funnels, this is fun stuff to me. This is where we actually get to the meat and potatoes of, of making money from your studio. Chris, what do you, do you know anything about sales funnels? I, I think you might know a little bit. I do. I suspect I know less than you do about them. <laughs> I don't know. I think we both know a lot about sales funnels. I think you probably know more than me. The The big issue there is that, you know, as a mastering engineer, that's how I, you know, butter my bread. Uh, I've got a long sales funnel. So someone might reach out to me. Well, first of all, let's define what is a sales funnel. I mean, this is, we're covering business aspects that every studio owner should know. And sales funnels are one of those terms that you need to know what it is. So um, I, I like to segment the sales funnel into three different categories. And... It's easy to remember because it's tofu, mofu, and bofu. And that just stands for top of funnel, that's tofu. Middle of funnel, that's mofu. And bottom of funnel, that's bofu. And that's just the way that I remember it. But top of funnel is basically all of the people out there that are, there's different ways to segment it, but those people out there that are coming to your website, that'd be top of funnel. Would you agree, Chris, or do you think it's something else? Yeah, absolutely. So it could be that people are finding your website via word of mouth. It could be that they're Googling your, you know, Googling your name or they found your studio linked somewhere else or they saw you on social media or they saw you on album credit somewhere for those three people that still buy physical albums and they went to your website. So that's top of funnel. Middle of funnel would be what? What would you say middle of funnel is for a home studio or a mastering studio or any kind of studio? Probably first contact. Yeah. You know, like they've emailed you or they've sent you something or they've filled out a form. They're, they're, they've identified themselves. Yep. So you've you've had some sort of conversation or contact with them. And that's where they get to middle of funnel. That just means, um, you know, so for a thousand people to come to your website, maybe only 50 of those end up contacting you. That's a 5% conversion rate, which is about standard, maybe on the low side or high side for some people. I say it's usually between two and 5%. Before we get into the podcast today, let me tell you a little something crazy about myself. I'm actually a psychic. 
and I'm going to prove it to you. You and I, we've probably never met, but I bet I can describe your business better than you can. Here's what my crystal ball says. You probably have no idea how to get clients other than waiting around for referrals and word of mouth. You're stuck in a perpetual cycle of feast or famine. So you have wild income swings from month to month. You're charging way less than you should and you know it, but you don't do anything about it. You feel like you have a million things you could be doing in your business and you have no idea what you should be focusing on. And you have tons of little half-built bridges leading to nowhere because you've jumped from thing to thing to thing as a dabbler. Am I right? Does this sound eerily similar to you? That's because I've been in your shoes and I've worked with thousands of freelancers who've also been there. So I'm not a psychic. My crystal ball is not real. I just have a really clear understanding of what freelancers are facing today. And if I can predict your problems, you can bet I actually have a solution to these problems. It's called client acquisition. We talk about this all the time on the podcast, but for some reason, freelancers still haven't really figured this out yet. This is why I created Clients by Design Coaching. It's a truly unique coaching program that helps you build your own client acquisition machine so you can break out of this feast or famine cycle that most freelancers never escape. So here's how our approach is unique. First, we do a deep dive on your business, we figure out what's missing, and we give you a complete marketing roadmap right from the start. So no more dabbling, no more guesswork, just a clear path to getting more clients. You always know what your next step is because we actually assign specific tasks to you. So instead of feeling overwhelmed, instead of feeling scattered, you can just focus on your next step. That's it. We give you unlimited feedback on everything you do so you can feel confident that every single step you're taking is the right one. And we hold you accountable, not by nagging you, but just by genuinely supporting and cheering you on every step of the way. If you're behind on any steps we've assigned to you, we'll proactively reach out and see how we can help. Clients by Design is not a course. We look at it like a partnership. We'll always show up. We'll always give you what you need, but you have to be willing to put in the work. This program is not for everyone, and that is okay. As of right now, I just checked the numbers. We've only approved about 25% of the applicants we've gotten so far, and that's because we are selective. We only accept your application if we believe we can truly help you. So if you're ready to end your feast or famine cycle and build a client acquisition machine, you can apply for Clients by Design by going to sixfigurecreative.com slash coach. That's the number six, figurecreative.com slash coach. Now here's our show. And I think we should probably clarify here. I, one of the biggest misconceptions I think many people have in business and that I had for years was that to run a business well, um, you close 100% of your sales. Oh my God, no. <laughs> so like you, you go out and you meet 10 people and, and you pitch each one of them on working with you. And if you don't close each one of those sales, that's, that's a slight on you as a human being. You have to be willing to fail 100%. You have to be willing to fail. Yeah. So I, I think a success and this funnel concept comes down to how many people can you get in the top of the funnel? Instead of 10 people, can you get 100 people interested in at least learning a little bit more about what it would mean to work with you? And then you get them to your website or you have a conversation with them or a phone call or, or, what, or what, what is it? Immediately, probably 20 of them are going to be like, mm, yeah, no, thanks. Yep. Or you're going to be like, no, thanks. So let's take a minute, Chris, and talk about the website, the top of funnel aspect of this, because this is an aspect that a lot of people mess up because they don't have their website built in a way that converts people from top of funnel to middle of funnel, because this is a big sticking point. Huge. This conversion rate between top of funnel, people coming to your website, and middle of funnel, people contacting you, this conversion rate directly affects your income. And so if you double that conversion rate, you've probably damn near doubled your income. If your conversion rate is half of what it should be, you're probably missing out on half of the money you could be making if you just tweak things and fix things. So this is a big, what they, they call it, a small lever that swings, a, or small hinge that swings a big door. This is a very small thing that is a huge leverage point in your business. For sure. What would you say some common mistakes are for websites? Because this is honestly a topic idea of its own, like a web, uh, episode of its own, but I think it's important to cover here too. Yeah, so if this is getting a little bit technical for you, um, you know, we apologize for that, but the, this is such an important concept. You need to think about your website. If you don't have one, I mean, obviously, if you're trying to do something for a living, you're going to want a website. But the point of the website, you have to know what its goal is. And what they call that in internet world is a CTA, a call to action. So you have to think about your website as in what do you want people to do? It's not make a sale. You want them to do something else like set up a phone call or send me your files for a free quote or um, let me do a free mastering sample for you. That's what's on my website. Yeah, come to our studio or set up a free mixing consultation or just request a quote. That's mine. Mine is just request a quote. Yeah, so that, that call to action is the whole point of the website. 
And when someone comes to your website, it should be so painfully obvious that that's the action that you want them to take. Everything builds to the call to action, not to the sale. And I'm reading, uh, I'm rereading uh, this book called Permission Marketing by Seth Godin right now. Unbelievable book. I read that probably a month ago, two months ago. So good. And uh, it's like 15 years old. It's still so relevant. But he talks about in permission marketing that you're trying to set up dates with these customers. You don't go around and propose to your customers right off the bat. You walk up to a stranger and say, will you marry me? That's not what you do. What you do is you want to get a date set up. You want to get to know the customer and see if, if this is something that you both want to pursue. So the point of the website is to get them to give you those digits. You want to click on the, on the thing, the call to action, where they fill out their information or they schedule a call or they send you files for you to look at. Now you've got their email address. You want to start the conversation somewhere. The point of, a, of a, the middle of the funnel is to start the conversation. And I like it to be the lowest barrier to entry possible. Yes. I don't want them to send me their files. I don't necessarily want to do a mixing consultation. I don't necessarily want to uh, do a free mixing sample or mastering sample. I want them to be able to contact me at the earliest possible moment. And that is, in my mind, a mixing quote. They want a price. They want to, they may just be kicking the tires because I don't want them to think, oh, I'll have to come back when I have files to send them or I'll have to come back whenever I'm ready for them to mix. I want them to be able to immediately fill out my form and get in touch with me because most of the bands that I work with are not quite ready to book when they first contact me. And that's what I want because if they come to my site and whatever my call to action doesn't, is, doesn't speak to them, they're just going to leave and I'm never going to know they were there in the first place. So they're going to be nothing more than just a tick on my Google Analytics, just one little visit, one unique website visitor, and they're nothing but a one to me. And so what I want is that form fill because that means I have them in my CRM, which is going to be covered in another episode, my customer relationship management software, and I can then follow up with them and have my email hit their inbox at the appropriate time. Now, if they leave my website without filling out the form because they didn't want to necessarily book a mixing consultation or they didn't necessarily weren't ready for a met te test master, then they just left and I, it's, it's up in the air whether they ever come back or not. Yeah. So to simplify this as much as possible, the point of your website is so that you can get their contact information so that you can begin to follow up with them and create a relationship that might turn into a sale. Yep. The more people that come to your website, the better. The more of those people, the, the higher percentage of those people that do your form or call your phone number. Some people's website is literally the call to action is to call a phone number. That's totally fine. What you're trying to do is start as many conversations as possible. If you want more customers, you need more conversations. That's the point. I think now we can move on to the bottom of funnels conversation. What are some things we can do to ensure that we don't lose a lot of people at bottom funnels? So the people that contacted us on our website what do we do to make sure we convert as many of those as possible to paid customers? Well, I think one of the things that you can do um, that I think is healthy for both sides of the equation, both for you as the business owner and for the customer, is do the opposite of what makes sense. The initial thing that you want to do is you want to get somebody in and be like, yeah, just write me a check for $30,000, something huge. And you go right for the jugular and you try to close this huge sale. I don't think that's great. For two reasons. One, it's really uncomfortable. And number two, what if they're a bad customer? What if it's not a great fit and now you're stuck with not wanting them to give them their money back, but also not wanting to interact with them? So I think the best thing to do at the bottom of the funnel is to do a small project first. Do something small, do something inexpensive. And again, it's, it's this date that you're going out with them. You're seeing you know, if this is, if there's some compatibility here and if there is that larger second sales, a lot easier to close once you've built up a little bit more rapport. So I think, you know, sales doesn't have to be this real pushy, sleazy thing. I think it should be natural. We talked about it in episode four where you mentioned Seth Godin, you know, solve the smallest problem you can solve for your client. Yeah. Uh, and it's starting with that is a good way to start. And again, that goes back to the reviews episode number four, but getting reviews on your site. That's a great way to do it. And it's also a good way to lead to, lar lead to larger uh, and higher paying gigs from those same customers and then able to move on from those customers who are nightmares without being stuck in a long month long project. Yeah. You know, and, and this is, I've given this advice to like Grammy award winning artists before of like with a producer, 
hire them to do a demo for one song. That's so much easier to get a feel for. Is this going to go well over the long term? If you want to run a healthy, growing business, you need to not have these nightmare scenarios where you're like, get me out of here. Make this project stop. A great way to do that is just to, to pitch people on, let's do a demo of one song. Let's do a whole day or let's do a weekend and let's just see what happens. Focus on one song, focus on something small, focus on an, on a, on an easily deliverable product and then go from there. One other thing as far as we're talking about bottom of funnel conversation here, um, you know, as people that go fill out your contact form and then you're trying to convert those to paid customers. One of the most important things is following up. Yeah. Following up properly. I think we've talked about this before, but follow up, follow up, follow up. And I follow up until A, they have ghosted on me for like six or seven emails in a row or B, they tell me no. One of those two things. Yeah, the follow-up, it gets back to one of the things we've talked about previously. I I think you guys will have heard that. I'm not sure what order we're going to be releasing these episodes in, but this sort of, what would an adult do? Like, what would a real grown-up do if he were interacting with a potential client to come record at his studio? Well, he'd follow up. Somebody would express interest and then two, three weeks later, say, hey man, just checking in. How's, uh, how's writing for the new record coming along? Was thinking about you the other day. That's what a grown-up would do, right? So a lot of these things, um, and back to the multitasking conversation, when you multitask, it's really difficult to be a real grown-up because you forget stuff. Your IQ drops when you multitask and to batch and say, all right, well, I'm, I'm going to do follow-up on Mondays with potential clients. Just drop them an email, give them a call, drop them a text, whatever. That's so helpful. And it's what a grown-up would do, and it's what I would want someone to do for me if I were thinking about working with them. Just be nice. Be relational. All right, so now the next point. Let's talk about reinvesting. So we'll just say for the studios that have had a bit of a success, they've gotten some clients, they've got a little bit of money, they want to spend some money. How do we properly reinvest this into our businesses in the most effective way without wasting money on shit we don't need? Well, I think the first thing there is to consider um, the lie that we've all heard from the gear slut in the back of our mind, which is, oh man, if you totally bought that piece of gear, you would book so many projects so people will beat the, a path to your door if you only had a fill-in-the-blank U87, Neve 1073, you know, whatever it happens to be. You need to think about opportunity costs there. Would it be cool to have a Neve 1073 if all you've been using is, I don't know, like a Personas thing or, you know, something else that's, you know, a little cheaper? Yeah, it'd be cool. But are people going to hire you because of that? And back to our final conversation Probably not. No, uh, absolutely not. Probably not a good way to get more customers. Trying to differentiate yourself and set yourself apart from your competitors by buying gear. That is the most expensive way to differentiate yourself. And it has the least ROI of any possible differentiation method there is, if, if any ROI at all. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a completely ridiculous gamble because here's the thing. When you reinvest in marketing, when you reinvest in getting people into the top of your funnel, even if it doesn't work, there's so much opportunity for collateral benefit. There's so much opportunity for, you know, you, you did some ads on Facebook or something like that, or you, this is so dumb, don't do this, but you bought a billboard somewhere <laughs> or you put business cards or something somewhere in a place where at Guitar Center, you talk Guitar Center into having like a poster about your studio there, whatever. When you do something like that, if a hundred people see it and nothing happens, it might be a year later when one of those 100 people remembers that and tells their buddy and then the buddy hires you. you. You risk getting more business. You have the opportunity for more business when you invest in marketing. So when, when you're thinking about, should I buy a $3,000 microphone for my studio or should I invest $3,000 in marketing? You should think about marketing the most. Marketing is the easiest way to have return on investment. I was actually listening to a podcast episode this morning. Um, I was listening to an episode or a podcast called The Perpetual Traffic Podcast. You ever listen to that, Chris? Mm, it's one of my favorites. Yeah, it's amazing. So they were talking about, they use a piece of software called Wicked Reports, which is way well above anything that we would ever use in the studio world. It's probably a $2,000 a month piece of software. 
And the cool thing about it, the reason they use it, because they're a big agency, they do Facebook advertising for big, 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 big companies. And they're basically tracking these ads they ran on Facebook months and months and months and months later. So let's just say ads they ran in January. Sure, they may have gotten some return on that in January, but what they wanted to see is what about a year later? When you look at investments, like something in the stock market or NASDAQ or index funds or whatever, when you look at those sorts of investments or even real estate, you look at it at an annualized return. So if you put $10,000 into real estate and you get $2,000 back, you just made 20% over a year. But we typically don't look at our marketing that way. And if you actually look at your marketing that way, it's incredible what it can actually be. So they looked at, they use Wicked Reports to track their ads. They had collected uh, leads or they did advertising they did in January. And Wicked Reports was able to tell them throughout the entire year, what was that ten dollars or $20,000 they spent in January? What did that turn into by the end of the year? This was after that initial month has passed and you're probably no longer thinking about what that money did. Well, it turns out it did about 80K for the rest of the year and income for that company, which is an insane 800% or so return on their ad spend. And so I'm telling you all of this to say a lot of you run ads or have you at least dabbled in ads and you've determined that it just doesn't work for you. And you have no idea what sort of collateral result, as Chris is talking about, is come from that. You don't know that that band that contacted you a month or two later is someone who checked out your site, added you on a list somewhere that they wanted to come back to your site when they were ready to book and ended up booking with you. You have no idea. And there's really no great way to track long-term conversions on ads like that unless Chris has got something that he wants to share with us. Well, this is going to be a painfully obvious uh, and simple solution. Ask. Ask. Yeah. When somebody hires you, ask the most important question that you will ever ask a client in your entire life. How did you hear about me? You know what's funny, Chris, is I've been doing this for nine years almost, and I have never asked a band that in my life, which is the dumbest thing I could have ever done in my business. So that shows you that it's not 100% necessary to have a profitable business, but I could bet you about a million dollars that if I would have done that, I would have more money today than I have right now. Yeah. I mean, you never know if there's like a specific thing that's working. Yeah. If you don't know what's working, you don't know how to improve that. Exactly. You know, if it's something, you know, if you're to the point where you have enough clients that are strangers, where you're kind of wondering where they're from, you never know if that song that you gave away, a recording session that you gave away for free at a high school battle of the bands three years ago might have been the magic bullet. And that might have, oh, I think I heard about you, the battle of bands at uh, such and such high school, 1973. You know, whatever, (laughs) whatever it happens to be, just when you ask, there's the opportunity to learn what's working and what's not. And I think the big thing to take home here, you know, we probably need to simplify as much as we can here. But the big thing to take home here is no one has ever said when they were asked the question, well, well, how did you hear about me? What, you know, why did you end up hiring my studio? No one has ever said, well, cause you have a Neumann U87. Other guy didn't. <laughs> I mean, you got a $3,000 microphone. He only had an AKG 414. So I hired you instead. That's never happened. Customers don't think that way. That, that'll never happen. I want to also touch on as far as reinvesting. Sure. There's certain gear, you know what you want to buy and there's going to be that gear slut urge in you to buy that gear. But there are other and almost, I would say, better ways to invest. And we just talked about one of them, which is marketing or advertising. Another way is investing in yourself in certain ways. So Mm. your skills. I mean, how much have you spent in your life on education, Chris? Do you actually ever join any courses or membership sites related to marketing or sales or anything related to growing your business or improving your skills? I definitely do. Um, It'd be tough to put a number on that. It's a lot. Um, The big thing that I keep in mind is that you know, I'm a reader. I love reading. And thank God I was taught. Uh, I was lucky enough to be taught by some pretty great teachers early on in life. And for me to be able to go on Amazon and spend $12 on like a marketing book or uh, E-Myth Revisited, you know, we've talked about in the past or four hour work week or something like that. It's just so cheap of an investment. It's, you will never get a better return on investment than on a book, yep. I think. It's not going to be that way for everybody, you know, but I think, you know, you got to keep in mind, you can read a lot faster than you can listen. I disagree with that. Myself, I actually, I can listen a lot faster. Like I can listen to audiobooks or podcasts or watch videos at like two and a half speed and have full comprehension of what I'm hearing. Yeah. Well, and, and for some people, that's the way to go. But the big thing to keep in mind is that if you work on your ability to read quickly, 
500 words per minute is doable. So when it comes back to reinvesting in yourself, though, you're saying books are great. Yeah. I, I'm a huge proponent of online courses. I've taken tons of my life. I've spent probably 30 grand in my life for education. And that is all things investing in myself for my audio skills or my business skills or my marketing skills. I've taken Facebook ads courses. I've taken business courses. I've, taken also, I've just taken all sorts of things. And I also have hired a business coach. And I pay her a decent amount of money every single month because she helps guide me in strategy and all sorts of different things in my life. And that is 100% investing in myself. And I am not going to get the same sort of return on my investment investing in the stock market or in gear or in yeah. anything else other than maybe marketing. That, like investing in myself, you can bankrupt me. You can steal from me. You can burn my house down. You can kill my pets. <laughs> like You can do a lot of things. I don't have any pets. You can do a lot of things to me, but you pretty much can't take away what I've invested in myself. I will always have the skills and knowledge that I have right now. And no matter what happens, I am 100% confident that I can build myself back from whatever financially happens to me. And I only have that because I've invested in myself so heavily. Yeah. Well, that's a really great take home is that self-investment is the best reinvestment. Marketing is probably the second best investment, but self-investment is always the best. Um, bonus points, if you're investing in marketing education, <laughs> that's going to be a, a double doozy. That's what I'm working on right now, actually. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I think we need to be conscious. We've probably been a little too complicated with a, a little too, a few too many vocab words. Nah. If you heard a word today that you didn't understand, this is what Google is for. And this has happened to me over and over again. Someone talks about something and I'm like, what the hell was that? And it forces me to stretch myself and learn more. So I have to look into it. I find out what that term means. I find out how that applies to my business. And now I'm that much more smart, smarter. I can't talk even. See, there you go. You don't need English either. But I'm that much smarter about what I need to do to implement that in my business because I now know that that thing exists. So for every word you didn't understand today, go back and look those up because it's going to make you a better uh, businessman. Right on. So let's talk, about, let's talk about one more thing from our list, Chris, and that is taxes. We've touched it on a little bit, but what, what, what can we talk about taxes here? Well, I would say first and foremost, I think what most people do, we talked about this at the beginning of the series, is that people say, all right, I'm going to do a business. I'm, I'm going to be entrepreneurial. The most important thing I need to do is get business cards and figure out my business entity. Will I be an LLC, a C-Corp, or a sole proprietor? I think it's so easy to procrastinate on these types of things and to say, those are important, and that's what I'm going to spend all my time on, instead of, like we said initially, sales. Sales solves all. Taxes is one of those things that's easy to procrastinate, but until you have sales, it doesn't matter. It absolutely doesn't matter. You can figure out taxes after the point, but taxes are a result of success. So don't worry about them until you've spent a heck of a lot of time working on sales. I'm going to give my two-second tax advice here. Yeah. And I'm not giving tax advice. <laughs> Go talk to your CPA. That is my actual tax advice. Hire a CPA. That is the only tax advice I ever give people. Pay for a CPA. You're not going to be able to figure out this shit on your own as far as doing it properly. And Chris can play the devil's advocate. He can give his own two cents on this as well. But I say this, organize your expenses, any receipts you get, throw them in a shoebox or a filing folder or something. Make sure you keep a receipts for all of the shit you spend on your business and then properly track all of your income. And if you go back to the first of the business of running your business series, which was episode five, if you go to that episode, we talk about how to set things up in a way that allows you to easily track your expenses and income. If you do that part, the taxes part solves itself because you go to your CPA, you say, here is my receipts for the year. This is what I spent. Here is my income from the year. Do your thing and tell me what I owe. That's how I do my taxes every year. I give them my folder, which is sitting under my desk right now and it has all my receipts and my invoices in it. I, sit, I give that to my CPA. I give him a P&L statement, which he talked about on, from an outright booking or outright, outright bookkeeping or GoDaddy bookkeeping, whatever you want to call it. And all I have to do from there is he gives me a sheet to sign. I send the government a check for whatever remaining balance I owe after my quarterly estimated taxes and I'm done. And I pay my CPA, what, $550 for that? That's it? Well, I'd agree. H hire a CPA. The, bi the big thing with taxes is taxes are easy if you have separate bank accounts, personal and business, and if you have some sort of automated booking software, it could be Quicken, it could be 
Outright, which is what me and Brian use. We didn't know we both used that until we were recording this episode. It could be Wave app. It could be, I mean, there's just so many to choose from. Pick one. It really doesn't matter which one you pick. As long as it ties into PayPal and it ties into your bank account, because those are the two uh, things I use to receive payments. Yeah. So the big thing there, if you've got separate accounts, if you're using some kind of, of accounting software that, you know, it's sort of like mint, it goes into your bank account and classifies each of your expenses. Um, then when it comes to tax time, hire a CPA, go into your accounting software, hit print, and it's going to give you one spreadsheet with all the things that are classified, just sort of like Mint does. You hand that to your CPA, they'll do everything else for you. So yeah, don't, don't let taxes and fear of taxes keep you from getting your business rolling. Worry, worry about sales, worry about having a tax problem, meaning that you have to pay taxes because you were successful. Have your account separate, have accounting software, and then hand it to a CPA and let them take over. Funny story, um, I have an excellent CPA. Um, her name is Lynn McMahon, and she's my mom. <laughs> she's one of the best CPAs in the state of Ohio. And funny story, um, I was born on April 15th Ooh. on tax day. Ooh. So Gross. each year, like if you're an accountant, uh, like the first two weeks of April are awful because everyone's trying to get their taxes to you so they can send it in. I would get my mom back for my birthday. Like her schedule got way easier after my birthday. So more precisely, I got my, I got my mom back the day after my birthday. But uh, yeah, have an accountant. You don't mess with Uncle Sam, but you don't need to until you've got sales. So that is it for episode number six of the Six Figure Home Studio podcast. We may or may not have a part three of this series. I'm not sure yet. It's getting to the holiday seasons here, and I don't know what our schedules are going to be when it comes to recording new episodes. But my gut feeling is that next week's episode is going to be all about CRMs, customer relationship management software. This is the kind of stuff that the big boys play with. If you want to be an adult when it comes to doing business, if you want to be able to track all of your contacts, where are you in the sales process? When should you be following up? How do you track all of the conversion rates of your sales funnel? This is complex stuff. And it's something that if you're not ready for it yet, that's fine. But at the very least, listen to this next episode next week, because when it comes time for you to implement this, it's just yet another advantage that you have over your competitors. And I see the future of this being a standard thing that most home studio owners use because I've had many, many, many of my students implement it into their business and it has been a complete game changer for themselves. So stay tuned for next week for the CRM episode. And until then, happy hustling. Whoa.